Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Get back to the goddamn ground! Go unorganized, grab gobble, teleplasmic shit! Hey everyone, welcome back to Underrated, a podcast where we discuss underrated films or ones that have slipped under the radar or passed most people by. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Derek McDuff, and with me as always are Ariel Ortiz. Hello. Alan Torres. Hey everybody, what's going on? And we have a special guest joining us from Podcast Like It's 1999, the creator of Fox's Sleepy Hollow, Phil Iskop. How's it going, Phil? Thank you so much for joining us. Guys, I appreciate it. It's nice to be here. Yeah, yeah we're really, really glad to have you. Um, so the film we're going to be talking about today is 1996's The Frighteners, um, which was directed by Peter Jackson. I believe it was the last film he did before uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, directed by him and co- co-written by him along with his uh, partner, Fran Walsh. Uh, starring, of course, Michael J. Fox and an ensemble of really great character actors from the 90s. Um, but yeah, this is kind of a horror, comedy, drama, supernatural thriller. It's a lot of stuff. Um, it's you the know, perfect mix. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a perfect kind of cult classic, um, but, uh, you know, very 90s cult movie. But Phil was the one who suggested this to us. Uh, I know it's a big favorite of Alan and Ariel's uh, as well. But Phil, uh, I want to kick it to you first. You're the guest, so you get to go first. Uh, tell us why you chose this movie and why you like it so much. Well, I mean, truthfully, you know, it's 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 kind of funny because there's a confluence of things going on in my life right now in the sense that I'm uh, I'm current project um, that uh, was inspired in a lot of ways by this film. Um, it's a it's kind of a goth buffy is the best way to kind of describe it i guess for for nbc that i'm doing with uh with justin lynn's company and um so i i wanted to rewatch this film i had seen it you know a few years ago um and i, I i've always loved it I, I think that it is sort of a um as as is your podcast uh, underrated and underseen i think it's a film that that a lot of people um probably don't really know about it didn't do very well in 96 unfortunately universal sort of uh overshot with this and put it out in the summer when they should have put it out in october uh they thought they had a bigger hit on their hands than it turns out that they did um if this film came out in october i think that this film probably would have done uh at least a third as well as it as it did but i also feel like it's sort of an atypical michael j fox performance as well in a lot of ways i don't think that people sort of think of him like 
this. Um, it's a pretty dark performance. He's not really kind of um, playing or leaning into the the, the Michael Fox isms as much in this in this film. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of things that I love about it. It's also funny because I've been rewatching Sam Raimi's films for uh, the Blank Check podcast, which I'm a big fan of. Um, and watching Evil Dead and this, uh, it's hard not to see uh, a little bit uh, a mirroring going on there, to say the least. Uh, this has a very Absolutely. Sam Raimi kind of vibe. I think the entire film is shot with a wide angle oh, lens, yeah. so the whole thing is like fish eyed and crazy, and the camera is constantly moving. And um, it, it's it's just a really sort of um, dynamic film. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I just I also think that. I've been listening to the score a lot. It's a score that you can't find anywhere. I had to buy the the CD uh, used on eBay to, for forty dollars, um, <laughs> but it is one of my favorite Danny Elfman scores as well. Um, he was a fan of, um, I think, Meet the Feebles and uh, Heavenly Creatures, and just said that he would do whatever Peter Jackson was doing sight unseen next. And obviously, it was a, a good marriage. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's just it, it's. I think it's a really fun kind of fucked up weird movie. We'll talk about obviously some of the specific moments that I think on this watch certainly jumped out at me and sort of maybe explained why this film didn't <laughs> make much of a, a, a hit at the box office. But. Yeah. Cause it, it did. Yeah. I was just looking at how much it made and it mo- only made about $3 million more than the budget. And I didn't know that it was, you know, that much of a, like almost a bomb, I guess. Um, and it, it's always been one of those movies that's been kind of on the periphery for me. Um, it I remember vaguely watching it on like Comedy Central, like late night one time. Like I was like, oh yeah, like I, the premise intrigued me so much. Of like, it's a movie where Michael J. Fox is can see ghosts, and he just uses that to be like a shady con man. And I, I thought that was really interesting. But I don't, let me kick it to I don't know Ariel or Alan, whichever you guys want to take, because you guys I think have a lot more history with the movie than I do. Yeah, yeah, I I would mind. Um, yeah, for me, it, this was actually I think one of my first memories of Michael J. Fox is um, you know seeing him in in a, anything, and so for me, this was like the epitome of of my of Michael J. Fox, and um, I just enjoyed the hell out of this movie. Uh, I got introduced to it by by my parents. I I don't think. We we might have seen it in theaters, but I don't remember it until like we watched we rented it and watched it. And um it's just such I, I still to this day enjoy enjoy the heck out of this movie and like I enjoy all the character actors. Um this was the first time that I caught on, oh, this is like a Peter Jackson um film and stuff like that. And then, then he get he's plays like one of the background actors in in one of the scenes he's the man with the piercings that michael j fox like bumps into before he gets hit by the hearst um and uh and then yeah Best so cameo comes- since hitchcock i think he's got yeah yeah and <laughs> yeah and um and then and then so it was also very interesting of like oh so that's why Sean Astin like is in in Lord of the Rings that might be one of the reasons why Sean Astin like is Samwise because you know his father um John Astin aka um the OG Gomez Adams is is in this movie uh, yes, as sure, well sure, sure. Uh-huh, yeah <laughs> and um I just always have like found it so interesting of like the ghosts and and 
his interactions with them and then yeah he is a con man but then at the same like at the same time he's like doing this because he's so guilt ridden because of his wife and then and then how his mind got essentially blocked from that memory and all he remembers is just like that her his wife got like a number carved into his thing and then you get to see yeah further and further like he he has like a lot more abilities than than you initially thought like yes he could talk to goats but then he also has like premonitions towards the end and and um the twist is was always like pretty interesting with with uh the how the girl is was an accomplice because like you have that whole end beginning scene of her being chased by this by this um what what they think is the ghost of death but ends up being um johnny bartlett and uh the serial killer and so you as as a viewer very much believe this story until like the switch happens and you do believe that that the mother actually had something to do with it or like you know covered up something and and um and then you have that twist of of the you know the daughter essentially like still carrying on this this relationship and essentially bringing her her ex uh or her dead boyfriend back from the grave because of all these all the the murder started up back up at five years ago when she was released and i guess brought him back with the ouija board i mean i, I think that it is you know the casting of d wallace who is someone <laughs> obviously you know plays the mom in et and you know peter jackson talked a lot about how uh in testing was you don't really suspect it you don't expect her to be um associated with these murders and it's 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 a nice shoot up at the end uh-huh yeah and then um mm-hmm. jake jake Busey just like like you know like really much like getting the craziness from his from his father and using there it ever to been a serial killer cast so well as jake oh, Busey yeah. in this movie like i i he could be playing any part and i'm like this guy's definitely killed some people yeah, yeah, he's, and in, he's he's in contact. I believe the previous summer, or maybe it might have even been the next summer. It's like it's very close, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, he really had like a lane for a second there, where he was just like the go-to kind of lunatic, and then for whatever reason, <laughs> yeah. and then like Starship Troopers like, in a bunch of stuff around that time, and then he just kind of disappears. Yeah, no, he still plays the loon really well. Like the most notable, like recently, was a uh, Rooster Teeth um, production called Day Five, that he he like knocked that out of the park. Is just like this um, sleep deprived, like crazy ass like a uh, um, soldier and stuff like that. But yeah, he the the Buseys, they just like I I don't think Jake Busey is actually crazy, but he 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 does it very well. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, and it, it's such a, I love the, the, like this relationship that, that kind of like gets formed between Michael J. Fox's character and then the doctor and, and how, uh, it, it, you know, it's very natural and gradual. And, and even though like this movie is kind of short, it, it does, I think actually take place over the course of like a few weeks at least, or a few, or at least like a, a couple months and 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 stuff and um and then yeah like going back to that you have all these awesome character actors with like john astin and then um the the what i know specifically as just gunny like he's the he's always the gunny sergeant uh oh arlie emery 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Arlie. Uh, yeah. Um, and then and then she McBride is awesome in it, and like, and I just love that that friendship that that uh, Michael J. Fox has with these with these ghosts and how like you know they know that they're being used in a way and like they want to be better and he's like well guys like you're dead like what else can i can't do much for you <laughs> and like all this bickering and and stuff and yeah i've i've always loved this movie and um yeah that's why like i don't understand why because for me like i thought it was popular because like i got introduced to it as a kid so so to know that it was you know not as well received and then of course like it i guess fell into the same kind of hitch as hocus pocus unfortunately where it got released as a summer movie where it definitely should have been released as a halloween movie so mm -hmm. which is why why the 90s 90s didn't know how to market <laughs> things sometimes ultimately it was I, I think it was a mixture of a couple things. Zemeckis produced this film. So, you know, I, I and he's he's, you know, probably at the top of his game at this point. It's, you know, it's post um, Forrest Gump. It's right before Contact. And, and I just feel as though Universal must have thought, well, we've got we got a Zemeckis hit on our hands here. Um, but this movie is just much more specific. It's it's, you know, Peter Jackson's voice is very different from. Robert Zemeckis is like they don't really speak to each other um you know what I mean so there's 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 yeah. kind of a weird sort of I think Universal just getting over their skis and thinking they had they had a bigger hit than they did but anyway yeah they're like Zemeckis and Michael J Fox we've made a lot of money on these guys Makes before sense. let's yeah. do it again right right exactly yeah like as soon I didn't know he produced it and as soon as I saw that I was like okay that explains a lot like that that makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense but uh, yeah, if I can uh, mm -hmm. jump in, um, I definitely dug this movie a lot. I loved it. No love for for the reanimator himself, Jeffrey Combs. I know he was an absolute creep in this movie, but you gotta love him, man. He he's great. I love reanimators, so seeing him in this is always a pleasure. Yeah, and uh, funny enough, the first time I saw this was in the '90s, obviously, and it was on Fox. At the I remember Fox would always show movies like Thursday nights or something, and, mm -hmm. and I remember they showed it. And, which uh, I saw, I'm another big fan of uh, Sleepy Hollow as well that I also saw on Fox. So big ups to that. Thank you for that. Thank it was you, thank wonderful. You. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I kind of got introduced to a lot of horror in, in the 90s because of Fox. And they would do that like Thursday night showing. And that's how I got to see Scream and Scream 2. And Frighteners was what another one of my biggest uh, things that I, like they would replay and I would love. But yeah. yeah probably I, coming I, off of like X-Files and they just, they just rode that wave. You know, from mm -hmm. X Files. I think too it was like they just didn't have anything. They're like, ah, well, Ally McBeal, that their <laughs> season's over. Let's throw something else on. So, uh, yeah, so I definitely love it. Uh, I definitely loved it, and um, the story's fun. I, I I really dug like the whole Conman Exorcist thing, and and I was in the '90s. I would just rewatch Back to the Future religiously, the the trilogy. So that was always a, a pleasure to watch. Uh, Michael J. Fox, but I actually was terrified of this movie growing up. Like, mm -hmm. oh uh, yeah, J you know Josh Homme. I mean Jake Boosie. Another thing, I always thought that Josh Homme from uh, Queens of the Stone Age was um, uh, Jake Busey's character. I have no idea why. And then how you were saying that he was like he was a Starship Troopers, and he kind of disappeared. And then as a kid, I was just like, 
well, he went to go do Queens of the Stone Age, so it makes sense. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> so for like until like the two thousands, I was like, oh, they're different people. Oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I was scared too. Like the thing that the scene that always scared me as a kid was the reveal of of uh, that this is Johnny Bartley with like goop and then the face like that gets slapped and it, his face like changes and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, that me too. That that was my, my the scene that freaked me out. I like absolutely had nightmares. Like I'd hide behind like the couch, like every time it pop up, I was like, oh fuck. And then just his big grim reaper visage is like terrifying. Like especially when he's like jumping across like rooftops and and it just like freaked me out because I would look out the window and I'm like, oh my god, is he out there like ready to like choke my heart out? And um, yeah, and I I'm, it is I a love pretty miniatures. fucked up movie. It oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean <laughs> it 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 certainly. It is interesting, too, because it does feel like, you know, Peter Jackson did much, much more upsetting movies previous to this. Right? I mean, Meet the Feebles, Heavenly Creatures, his earlier stuff is much more sort of raw and, and horrific. So, like, it's clear that he's try this is him trying to make, like, an accessible studio movie. At the same time, it's also, like, there's just imagery in it that is very haunting. It, it definitely stays with you. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, I mean, didn't he also do um, Brain Dead, Dead Alive as well? Yeah. Which yep. is yep. just fucking bonkers. So there's that. If anybody hasn't seen it, go out, check it out. It's it's a lot. Probably one of the goriest films of all time. But yeah, no, definitely. It's super, super haunting, man. Um, yeah, and I kind of, I'm a, I'm a big true crime guy, so I'm kind of a sucker for serial killers. So I'm just like, yep, makes sense. Bring them back. They want to finish the job. They want to keep going. So. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I love that big twist, too, that they were together. And then now, over time, kind of learning it, I'm like, yep, yeah, makes sense. There's always accomplices, and there's always something there uh, that a lot of people don't know that, yeah, some serial killers have that accomplice, and it's always like, you know, I, I like how Jeffrey Combs' character brings it up with, like, Charles Manson and the family. I feel like that was a little bit of a foreshadowing, too, to be like, hey, like, th th there's something else along the way. Like that you're like, oh, you know, Charles Manson didn't do everything all himself. It was, you know, he had his whole family, the the family. And then this that was a little kind of way of telling the 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 audience, like, hey, you know, it's not completely just this Grim Reaper guy, so kind of keep an eye out. But yeah, man, definitely a lot of fun. It was awesome. And then just like you say, I, a lot of Sam Raimi influence. Um that with the shots, there was a shot where Michael J. Fox is in the prison cell. And Jeffrey Combs is talking, and like all the the funny camera angles are in Jeffrey Jeffrey Combs, and then Michael J. Fox's uh, camera angles are just so strict and like just kind of not moving, just to kind of show you the big difference of it, which I really dug a lot. And then miniatures, practical effects, big sucker for, especially when it's zooming down, very uh, Sam Raimi when like the arrows coming at you or something like a like a weapon or something, a lot of fun. But yeah, yeah. And well, you bring up like that it's very Raimi esque, and I feel like there's a lot of influences that you can see with kind of like quote unquote like classic horror, classic, even like proto slashers and stuff like that that pop up in this. Like obviously, there's a lot of homages to Psycho being in like the house with the the mom, and like oh the mom is crazy and stuff. And then there's clearly there's like even the letterbox, the picture that's on letterbox is like the Michael J. Fox looking through the door exactly like The Shining, and it just feels like. Peter Jackson, kind of like Sam Raimi, they had very similar career arcs where they had they started off being these kind of low budget guys making these kind of like 
grimy horror movies that were like cult hits, like, you know, that would, you know, get passed around like, oh my god, have you seen Evil Dead? Have you seen, you know, Dead Alive? Have you, like, get passed around? And then, in the very early 2000s, they both had huge success with big, big studio trilogies, and it's interesting to see, you know, kind of now Peter Jackson is still kind of, you know, one of those big guys, but Sam Raimi, he's kind of, like, gone away from that, you know, he doesn't do a lot of stuff anymore. To date um, now, to date, to date today, yeah. yeah, to date today, yeah. he has combined both both of his talents. And, That's uh, true. That's and true. it took I... me two hours to get those tickets. Definitely. I mean, I think that uh, Drag Me to Hell was, you know, mm. obviously a script he'd been working on for a really long time. And, and uh, I think a lot of that, which I absolutely love and didn't get the love that it deserved in 09. Um, which is why we covered that it well in theaters. I think that people just didn't really know what to do with it. Um, I, I think it's a fantastic movie. And I'm, listen, I'm excited to see what he does with Doctor Strange. I'm excited that he's back in making movies. Like, I don't really care necessarily what it is. I'm just excited to see what he has to do. Peter Jackson, on the other hand, I mean, I just you know, he got he kind of got unfortunately pulled mm -hmm. back into the the Hobbit movies, which, you know, if mm -hmm. if any uh, legitimacy to you know to the stuff you've read he didn't really want to do them i mean it was it was really almost a contractual obligation at a certain point you know when dotoro pulled out of them it sort of kind of landed in his lap and it's not that they're terrible movies by any stretch of the imagination but it does feel like you're sort of like this guy doesn't want to do six of these like he's just mm -hmm. oh, yeah. um so i i do wonder whether or not um and then with the lovely bones not being very good it does feel like he's kind of lost the thread a little bit unfortunately yeah, I yeah. feel like he just kind of likes it, wants to make documentaries now. Like, you know, people love the Beatles one. He did that World War One one that yeah. I, I didn't see either. But, like, you know, I think he's just kind of like, all right, well, I have been so bogged down. I think, you know, these guys who have, like, struggle for years and then they get this big success and then they're kind of like, oh, I just kind of have to do this now. They're like, okay, like, they need, maybe need a break for a little bit. And I think that's why Raimi took a little bit off, went back, did his Drag Me to Hell. Peter Jackson is doing his docs now um and you you can see it and i and Did, i think um, you bring up an interesting point yeah. no what were you gonna say phil i was just gonna say uh, he did produce mortal engines and i think he kind of shadow directed a lot of that as well um oh, yeah. which i which kind, I of, kind of love honestly i did too i kind i'll kind of ride for mortal engines quite frankly um mm. i kind of i kind of dug that movie quite often but yeah it, it does feel as though uh, uh, i it's funny what this film the other day, I did find myself just really wishing that Peter Jackson, like when the Lovely Bones was announced, I was like, oh, wow, like this is him going back to his heavenly creatures, right? Like this is him going back to sort of like, you know, his his kind of obsession with like the ideas of heaven and hell and what an afterlife looks like and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, cool. But unfortunately, like Lovely Bones, after you've been making Lord of the Rings movies, like I think he just, I'm not sure Peter Jackson can go back to being a small $20 million filmmaker anymore. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And then he had, you know, between those two, he also had King Kong, which is like, I think there's a really good two hour movie in King Kong. Um, it's just, God, that's a long movie. Like, oh yeah. And I feel the same way about the Hobbit films. I'm like, if that was like one movie or even two, I think that the Hobbit movies would be pretty solid. But like, when you have that whole, like, the last 30 minutes of the second one are just like a Benny Hill sketch, I'm just like, I, I can't. Uh, so, you know, I feel like he's just maybe just reined back a little bit. 
you know, just a little bit of just like just you know overindulgence and it's. Well, I, I think, think the... that was more so the the um, studios part, like very much so, like the the studio movie studios back then. A role in that in that time when it was trilogy after trilogy of books after books. Um, they kind of wanted to pull it out and. The only one, yeah, because it was shot as two. It was shot as two films, and they were like, mm-hmm. "Hold on, you got to make a third one." Yeah. Oh. Well, I, I, even then, I would argue like to do it one because, like, source material wise, it fits as one story, and and I think that's why the Lord of the Rings ones are so masterpieces because essentially, uh, the majority of the elements in in there are from the books, and and it's had to be like removing things to make it work whereas like the hobbits was uh, adding things but yeah i think peter jackson hopefully like will will be able to like kind of regain his his desire and or his passion i don't know if I, I would hope it's still there somewhere because yeah he is an incredible um filmmaker and and storyteller is like this you know him co-writing co-writing the frighteners here and and um it is something that that's very well missed and i really do hope that you know he can come up with because i i don't agree i think he he could create an indie film and i think that might be the best thing for him because like uh you know indie films allow a lot of creativity um and and i think hopefully with his big you know his good status with with coming out of um the lord of the rings which will probably last his whole year his whole career um he has that ability to to kind of make those small small movies as well and i think that's something that that we're seeing in recent years of 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 you know big time directors probably like taking a step back and having that ability like i know that in um the last episode we recorded, we kind of like discussed about how Netflix and and Apple TV and and all these other streaming services kind of um, backing these these movies, kind of like allowing for a little bit more of a creative freedom and and a place to kind of like place these like passion projects from all these uh, different filmmakers and writers. So, so I think I think um, I would hope that he you know comes back with something like that and. And, um, yeah, you know, I don't think that Peter Jackson has a lack of freedom. I mean, I think he can kind of do whatever he wants. I think the question is more about whether or not he's able to do something smaller. And I don't even mean necessarily uh, budget wise, but just in terms of like what I film, one of the many things I love about this film is that it's really just pretty clean. It's it's mm-hmm. it's not um overly complicated for the most part it's a it's a pretty straight uh, storyline and uh just delineated really well it's an hour 45 it's not particularly long um it's just a really tight well-oiled story um you know it's just it's a spooky story it's a fairy tale kind of thing and and, and he's very very good at that um you know and and i just wonder i mean Peter Jackson can clearly do whatever the hell he wants. And I, and I think <laughs> yeah. that, um, you know, he, he hasn't made a film, I mean, a, a narrative film in a while. Um, you know, I think the last one was Hobbit films. If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. I think that those were the last yeah. time that yeah, he's so. done a narrative film. Um, I, 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 I really 
to believe that the guy doesn't have a bunch of other things that he'd love to do, passion projects, books, whatever the case might be. Um, and, and I hope that he finds his fastball again because there was kind of no one like him when he was doing what he was doing. Um, you know, and, 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 if, and if, like you were saying, Derek, you know, he needs to uh, replenish, you know, revitalize whatever it is by doing documentaries or, you know, figuring out what it is that he wants to be saying... I'm excited to see whatever he has to do. But in terms of this particular film, you know, and, 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 you know, I, I watching it again, a bunch of things kind of hit me. The first is, um, I don't know if you guys know, but it was supposed to be a, a part of an anthology of, uh, horror films that mm. Zemeckis was doing for, I believe it was Showtime at the time, Tales from the Crypt. Um, Ooh. so it was going to be an episode of Tales of the Crypt. Ooh. Um, and then when he read the script for it, he's like, this is ultimately too good to be just an episode of Tales of the Crypt. We should do this as a film. Uh, Zemeckis at that point had seen Heavenly Creatures and that sort of was the moment. Heavenly Creatures is a masterpiece. If you haven't seen Heavenly Creatures, everyone should go out and watch it right now, especially with Melanie Linsky killing it on Yellow Jackets. Everyone should be watching everything that Melanie Linsky does. Um, her last name being said a million times in this film because... Uh, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, the the main character's last name is Linsky, so they say they say like Doctor Linsky a million times. But um, <laughs> it's 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 just interesting to see how Zemeckis smartly, from a producerial perspective, seeing that there was just more to do with this, and that this 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 story deserved to be given more money. And then you know you mentioned the uh, Grim Reaper and those special effects, which at the time were groundbreaking special effects, which Hold up pretty well, all things mm -hmm. considered. I mean, mm -hmm. 96 was a long time ago, but when that Grim Reaper comes out of the mirror in the bathroom, it looked fucking awesome. Like, it still mm -hmm. looks really, really cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, so and, and that mixture of practical and special effects. I mean, Weta, this was basically one of Weta's first things that they did, okay. which is, you know, um, obviously, Peter Jackson's special effects house. Um, it, it's It really is sort of a groundbreaking movie, I feel like a lot of people haven't seen it. I think that I think that it's just kind of this weird little movie that kind of exists. Um, but I think that I, I really do feel like tone of this movie is bizarre. Like it's really trying to be a comedy, and try, I mean, in a lot of ways, it is doing kind of what Evil Dead did a little bit. It's not as gory as Evil Dead, but like Evil Dead Two is trying to be kind of like cartoonishly playful while at the same time being a horror. Movie. This movie has like element in it which feels a little beetle juicy which i obviously if you don't love beetlejuice i don't know what to tell you but whatever <laughs> but um I, I think it's i think it's a masterpiece but um I, I think that the ghosts in this have this really interesting not really sure i understand the rules necessarily of how they interact with our world and their world I'm not really sure i understand why like they popped up into pieces or there's like all kinds of weird shit going on. Like, they, they kind of feel like a Looney Tunes characters in the sense that like they can have all this weird shit happen to them and they can also interact with our world. But all that being said, um, I think it looks great. I think that the um, there are jokes that I think in hindsight I might not have put in this movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, the judge having sex with the yeah. with the thing in the sarcophagus. And, yeah, I was like, yeah, is like it, it necrophilia if they're both dead? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, but it, it's... Or the, the line that he says, the line, I like it yeah. when they lay still I mean, like, like that. Where I'm just like, yeah. oh yeah, okay. that was gross. Yeah. That was bad. 
Also, did There's you know that the like judge that. isn't in heaven at the end? And I was like, is that the reason? Probably. Why I, doesn't the yeah. judge go to heaven? It's probably Maybe because of that. Asked him that he was day. a, he was a hanging person. judge. He's not going to heaven. He just like, and, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why he it, was it, very, uh, very much a morally gray character. <laughs> sorry, didn't mean to derail you there. <laughs> yeah, sorry. And the effects are great. Like, I love the makeup effects that he has as a ghost with, like, his jawbone coming out of his mouth. Like, all this kind of stuff where it's like, it's really, and this movie was rated R, which Peter Jackson mm -hmm. still to this day is like, I don't know why this one was rated. Like, it really, you don't see very much. Like, it's not a particularly gory film, really. I think it was just the overall vibe of it was just the MPA was just like, this is too intense and there's too much going on and we don't know how to deal with all of this. But mm. I mean, I guess it is. I mean, Gur at the no, sanatorium it, is pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely in this day and age, it would, it would hit a PG 13. Like it, it takes right? a lot to do, to do yeah. a right. I'm really surprised, movie, honestly, but, that but I did yeah, not know then, that. That's surprising. Yeah. Me. Yeah, and then even even if it was like back then in the '90s, like to me being a child, like you know, in the '90s and stuff, um, definitely there was a lot of big more stigma towards R-rated movies, and yeah, that's very much surprising that my parents allowed me to watch it. Which some R-rated movies like slipped through the cracks with my family. But but yeah, that I know that definitely in the '90s there was a very bigger stigma towards R-rated movies. As now you know, this day and age, like you know, Disney is on the Disney with Disney Plus is on the cusp of like allowing R-rated movies on their Disney platform, and it's like essentially, yeah, leaving it up to the to the parents, um, which it should be. Um, but yeah, that probably is another reason why it kind of didn't get as much like reception as as it should have yeah i i do i think the r rating um definitely hurt its box office i think again an r-rated film coming out at halloween has a better shot of people going out to see it an r-rated film coming out in i think this movie came out in july if i'm not mistaken uh it is just sort of like what are we doing right now it's uh it's it, it was a choice uh to say the least i'm sure universal if they could do it again i wouldn't guess <laughs> and what really cracks me up uh, about it is that this movie yeah it didn't really deserve like I, I felt like it could have been a hard pg-13 and then i like that the next year we get spawn which is a big horror comic book adaptation and you think okay that movie definitely needs to be rated r and they're like no let's bring it down to pg-13 and it's like why do you want that and even then there's so many scenes with like malibu um violator just absolutely terrifying and i was like this should be rated R. Like, just go full ham. Like, yeah. It's interesting, too, because, like, I mean, the, the, the R-rated blockbuster, for all intents and purposes, is a pretty small list. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, more times than not, studios are convinced that it's not worth going down that road unless they have to. I mean, The Matrix, obviously, in the late 90s and the early 2000s was was a big deal. And then, obviously, you know, you look at uh, um, Deadpool recently, and although now the third one's going to be PG-13, so, you know, uh, it's it's anyone's guess, really. I mean, I, I think that, um, it's, you know, listen, it's it, I, this is a risk-adverse industry. I understand that it's a lot of money spent on these projects, and to release something in theaters, especially, you know, we were talking earlier about the, 
streaming thing and the whole theatrical experience is incredibly expensive to market a film and release it in theaters. People don't realize just how expensive an endeavor that is. So now with streaming being an option, I think you're going to see the riskier materials most likely heading towards streaming um, and the safer bets, you know, going on, uh, going in theaters. Yeah. Well, it's funny because it just remind you know, you guys talking about like how, Oh, like, you know, the, P- the R rated movies, especially in the nineties were such a big risk and, you didn't really have a lot of other than Keanu Reeves movies um, rated our big blockbusters. And it just kind of reminds me of I was definitely, you know, not allowed to see rated R movies um, in the early 90s. When I was pretty young, my parents were very, very overprotective. And so I remember uh, speaking of Keanu Reeves, I was not allowed to see Speed because it was rated R. However, Speed 2 it was rated PG-13, so I got to watch Speed 2 and Willem Dafoe and The Boat, and I was like, people were like, oh, this is nowhere near as good as the first one. For me, though, the only movie I'd seen of the Speed franchise was Speed 2, and I was like, what are you talking about? This movie's, this movie's kick-ass. Like, I love Speed 2. But, yeah, so I get... That movie is not kick-ass. <laughs> no, no, it's definitely not. I haven't seen it since probably, you know, 1995 or whatever, um, but... <laughs> Even Sandra Bullock shits on that. Yep. My tastes are a little more refined now, I think. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean it's it, it it is interesting you know watching this film the other day i was thinking about whether or not this film would get made today i mean listen if peter jackson wanted to make this film today this movie gets made for sure mm-hmm. um but in terms of you know the budget for this film back in in 96 forgive me i think was in the what was it in the 60s or 70s if I'm not oh, mistaken. i think it was only like 25 was million for the budget okay so there the you go in 96 that that would be yeah. 60 million today mm-hmm. basically so, you know, to give someone $60 million today, I mean, the only that are kind of doing that are your, are, are your A24s. Um, mm. You know what I mean? Like looking at the Northman, which comes out you know, on the 22nd, and Robert Iger's being given $90 million to make a crazy Viking movie is fucking rad. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm excited to see it. But, um, you know, it's kind of the only people that are doing it is, you know, giving that kind of money to auteurs. Um, so I guess we should just be lucky that anybody's doing it, mm-hmm. but it is, you know, it's, that's their lane, yeah. right? I mean, A24 has decided that they're going to be the place where auteur is going to make the weird that <laughs> they might make money. Yeah. Them, them and Netflix, I feel like are like the only mid budget games in town. Like everything else is just like, like X where it's like a couple million dollars or it's just like, you know, Dr. Strange two where it's hundreds of millions of dollars and that and I've said it before on the podcast, but that like. 60 to $100 million movie is kind of just vanishing at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't disagree. I do wonder, I mean, I've talked about this on our podcast a little bit too, but, you know, I, I do feel like um, I'm a little surprised that we haven't seen tiered pricing at this stage. 
I'm a little surprised that a movie that, you know, for instance, only costs, you know, 20, 30 million dollars, you know, the ticket to that movie could conceivably be less money, right? And if that movie, if that ticket is cheaper, more people might go and see that film. Um, you know, if a movie costs $200 million, it's not completely unreasonable for that ticket to cost a little bit more money. So I, I just wonder why we haven't seen, you know, movie theater chains figuring out ways to do that. That's not to say that, you know, as we move forward now with Netflix buying movie theaters, uh, with Amazon buying movie theaters, with, uh, you know, with the monopoly of these movie theater chains going away and studios being able to do this, um, we could conceivably see a sea change in terms of the way that people see movies and and that's not a bad thing well allegedly yeah, I, I, th- I heard that um uh well not even allegedly like it's been confirmed that amc was doing that with the batman and um spider-man so like that came out i don't know month ago yeah. or something no, they, no you're absolutely right it, it it's it's definitely on the table now. yeah so I'm a little, I'm, I'm wondering how much farther we go with it. I don't necessarily think it's the worst thing in the world. We did an, uh, we did an episode on our podcast um, where we covered every issue of Premier Magazine from 1999. And there was the, the first issue, the Millennium issue, was all, with, there were interviews with George Lucas and James Cameron. And both of them were talking about ticket prices. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how more expensive movies should be more expensive to see. And this idea of, now again, of course, Lucas and fucking James Cameron think that people should have to pay more money to see their movies. That's not <laughs> a surprise. But, but I do think that there is something to be said for, um, for looking, you know, we, we have this sort of myopic perspective when it comes to all movies are kind of clumped together and not all movies are built alike. So maybe we should be finding new ways to find, you know, audiences for movies that, that deserve them. Um, it's unfortunate that we still live in this world where, you know, I don't need to tell you guys, I'm sure you guys, you know, paying attention to box office in 2021. And it was a, it was a very strange time, right? Where you had these movies that were being claimed as dead on arrival. Um, and you're just like, well, is it though? There's so many ways for movies to make money for people to see these movies. Now we really can't just base it on an opening weekend in movie theaters. Like it's just that, that, that's a very narrow way of looking at, at this industry. Yeah. I mean, if Morbius could be number one at the box office, you could... <laughs> yeah, no, it should be telling, like, you shouldn't base it off of opening weekend. You should base it off of overall um but but then well, and then too just like streaming stuff because especially when you have mm-hmm. like you know something like black widow and that came out in day and date on disney plus paying 30 bucks for it and that was why that whole scarlett johansson lawsuit happened is because okay like this movie looks like it didn't make a lot of money in the theaters but it's also driving a subscriptions and b actual purchases on disney plus that you do have to like you said phil think about these things in a much different way yeah when i think that i i also think that you have to sort of and you're, you're you're making a very valid point in terms of the contracts that we that we make with the various you know entities and talent involved in these films, right? And we and these things need to be baked into the numbers now, right? Like the 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 precedent that that Scarlett Johansson rightfully set with that specific, um, I don't even know if it got to a lawsuit. Maybe it did. I, I, they resolved it. All things, whatever. Mm-hmm. Point is, if you're now an actor, you have to be thinking about it's not just back end. It's not just, you know, how much money I make in movie theaters or, you know, what have you. They should be given a piece of, of these profits in so many different ways. It's just it's a business and, 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 and everybody should be seeing it as a business, but it's also the commodification of creativity. 
right? It's still an art form. And, and I think that the second we lose sight of that, um, then we're really doomed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and there's also, um, you know, the usage and, and I don't, I know it's like a, some limited accessibility to it. And then us being um, where, where we live in Orange County, we're kind of like blessed with it, but having these indie theaters as well, like independent theaters, like here in Orange County, we do have the Frida theater. Um, and they are the ones that like, we essentially go to, to see these like mid tier, as you can say, um, movies and, and have that like tiered, tickets sales as well because they are slightly lower at of their price at, at their ticket sales and and so i i would also hope that like utilizing independent film theaters would actually be a good way also to have this kind of tiered box office as you were saying because it would allow mm-hmm. to yeah and grow independent um film theaters which is like always a good thing Absolutely. I mean, the, the Alamo, you know, theater chain is doing is doing mm-hmm. quite well. We're seeing that expanding across the across the country, which is great. You know, we, we finally have one in Los Angeles that I frequent, you know, very often. Um, it's it's you know, I, I think that, you know, the, the movie going experience, the theatrical experience isn't going anywhere. It's still the cheapest date. It's still the thing to do on a weekend. It's it's still um it's it's not going anywhere the question becomes ultimately when do audiences if audiences uh get bored with franchises um you know what i mean are 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 they are they going to still be sticking around when marvel is on its 40 or 50th movie um are you know are people still going to be like yeah, yeah i i can't wait to see what you know the the i don't even fucking i couldn't even tell you the characters names but my point is and i like the marvel movies just fine but you know once you get really deep down this rabbit hole at a certain point, like the repetition of it is just kind of impossible to get away from. And that's the problem with franchises, right? There's a reason why working in television, most TV shows seasons four or five are when people kind of start to tap out, right? You've kind of told all the stories you can tell. Um, you've, you've sort of exhausted all the best opportunities that you can. And there are people that stick around and watch Grey's Anatomy in season 15 and, more power to them that's that's great for all people involved i guess but that just feels like some sort of a I don't know, mental disorder but i'll just say <laughs> that i think that like at a certain point you have to cut bait right and you have to change something um and, and that's the question whether or not we are saturating the market right now with so many franchises that we're we're getting to a tricky place i mean i think it's i think it's ironic we're talking about peter jackson right now who ultimately pretty much broke new ground right i mean the first fantasy film to ever win uh best picture to win a ton of academy awards that that's that that franchise was a game changer right and unfortunately he didn't really kind of have another gear after that or he didn't really show us what he wanted to do after that um and he still kind of hasn't um I'm not. I'm not shitting on on the Hobbit movies or on Peter Jackson, but I do think that there is something to be said for um, how much he changed cinema and then kind of didn't know what to do with it once he changed it. Yeah, absolutely. I think really the Lord of the Rings films are some of that, and maybe like Batman Begins, like that whole time period was like some of the most important sure. films ever made with just the way that movies go and the way it was like okay, like 
the Lord of the Rings became like an event you had to go to every year, you know, and then the same, you know, Harry Potter, the Harry yeah. Potter films at the same time kind mm-hmm. of had that same mm-hmm. effect. And now that's why, you know, they're like, okay, well, how are we going to replicate this with the Hobbit movies? It should just probably be one movie, but let's make it an event. And now it's like, okay, you got to go see the next one or the next one. And it's just, you know, these things. That's why I love films and TV shows and things that have like a specific end. That's why one of my favorite Marvel movies ever is Endgame because this is an end to an arc of so many stories, even though obviously they're still making Marvel movies, it was kind of an end to what they were doing for 10 or 11 years or however many it was, you know? For sure. I think there's also, you know, the other thing that, that is, is worth talking about for, for, you know, what it's worth, uh, Peter Jackson did kind of fuck with frame rate. I mean, that <laughs> was the thing that he was trying to bring to the table for the Hobbit movies, which is, you know, the higher frame rate, because our eyes can only see uh, a certain amount of frames per second, the films all of a sudden looked like a soap opera. Um, and I, I don't quite know why he decided that that was the hill that he wanted <laughs> to die on. Um, I, don't, I, I don't quite know why uh, Ang Lee tried to do it as well. Um, it, it, it does feel like a thing that these, and who knows what James Cameron's Avatar 2 will be released in, uh, if it will be released at uh, the end of this year. <laughs> I can't get that. Move. but i but i just think that there's there's something to be said for these when you break new ground and then you're just sort of like well now okay so i'm a trailblazer now what's the next what's the next thing and when the next thing isn't totally apparent and instead you're stuck watching 3d or high frame rates or whatever just make a good movie guys make a good story i don't i don't you know what i mean i'm not i'm just i'm not so concerned with these <clears throat> technical notions quite frankly but i you know I guess that some people are. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know we're talking about Zemeckis too, and I think he really fell into that same trap. Like you know, there's this okay. there's video mm-hmm. essay by Patrick Willems that talks. It's called like Pat, or it's called um Robert Zemeckis and his magnificent toys, and it's just kind of how he fell into this trap of like, wow, there's all these technical innovations. I've been driving all these innovations, and that's all that it's going to be like. Where you have something like Welcome Marwin, which is like, what even is this movie? It's just like about how or like um Insane. the polar express or beowulf and it's you have all these like like dead-eyed like cgi mocap people and i think peter jackson definitely fell into that same thing where he his early films you know all the way up to probably king kong and especially this one he uses special effects when he needs to but they all still have all these quote-unquote bigatures and all the like practical effects and then when it's like, oh, I can just use special effects for everything, so I'll or for anything, so I'll use them for everything. Like, look at an orc in the Lord of the Rings, and look at an orc in the Hobbit. And even though those movies are made ten years later, the orcs in Lord of the Rings look so much better. And it's not to say that like the CGI was better because it's obviously in 2002 than it was in 2012. It's clearly better in 2012, but you when you blend them like that, you just use them to fill in the cracks instead of just paint the whole painting. It works. It, it it works so much better for cinema, you know. I you make a really you make a really good point, and I, I think it's interesting because you know, listen, I think Polar Express, Beowulf, Christmas Carol, those movies suck. I, <laughs> I mean, they're they're, oh, they're horror shows. I like them, um, but the, <laughs> but I but I do think that you have to give credit to the first person through the wall, mm-hmm. right? That's the they get the bloodiest, right? They're the one that's like, I'm, I'm going to try this thing, um, and without Zemeckis. 
breaking that ground, we probably don't get Avatar to some degree, or at least Avatar being as successful a mocap film as it was to some degree. Oh, so I, I could blame Robert. Take motion capture. Robert Zemeckis for that. Blame Robert, right? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, look at, look at uh, I mean, any of Andy Serkis's, you know, mocap performances, right? They're all tremendous performances. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're able to do it. It's just, you know, Zemeckis just, unfortunately, didn't have the goods at the time. But I, I, again, this is all just to say that, I think that that Peter Jackson is a is a is a fascinating filmmaker. I think that that this film it, it also should be said, and you said this up top, but like this was the last film he did before he does Lord of the Rings, right? Mm-hmm. So this comes out in '96. Lord of the Rings comes out in 2001. My assumption is they probably shot it sometime in late '99, early 2000 they is when they started shooting started them. In '98 and yeah, went '98 to 2000. Okay. Oh shit. Okay, so but when you think about it. And then on top of all of that, right, you had false starts, you had the two Weinstein versions where they were getting backed by by that, by Harvey and Bob, and they were going to do two films instead of three. And like, there were all these kind of false starts before New Line goes all in on Lord of the Rings and lets him off the chain to do what he wants to do. So it's pretty amazing that he comes off of this film, and then he's like, I'm now going to do <laughs> the the biggest fantasy films that ever could possibly be right. Like it's just, you got to hand it to the guy. Like this movie is kind of a failure at the box office. And his takeaway from it is time to sack up and do the biggest thing that's ever been right. done. He got a blank yeah. check from this movie somehow. It, and yeah. it also continues the trend that, that we, I guess you could say going back to Peter Jackson and, and Sam Raimi kind of like started off, but we do continue seeing it to two degrees of success of, of these horror, like technically horror or like mystical, like directors and writers kind of coming in and becoming and becoming and picking up these very big franchise or, or big movies and just like, doing incredible work on it like you know with peter jackson and 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 lord of the rings sam raimi and and um and the spider-man movies then you have like uh the you know the one that that has done it now doing what we don't know about the flash but but, uh, but yeah yeah but then also like you know like um james wan or, or all these other that started their their you know their careers in horror element james gunn as well um and and then i don't know i i really do love i and i really want to understand more about how because it does work that formula of of like a kind of coming from this like low budget horror film genre and like kind of be i I guess because like i think we've we mentioned it before like how horror doing a horror movie or or like this movie like the frighteners like lends itself to so much creativity that it makes the really great you know um inspirations for further work in that that um director or writer's um you know filmography later down the line i think it's oh, for uh, sure i it also oh no sorry i was just gonna jump off of uh ariel and you phil because you kind of said it earlier uh, you you release like a massive uh, film like uh, you, you kind of um jump off like ariel was saying you, a lot of directors start off in horror and they, they kind of get very creative because the budget's so small. So you have to figure out a lot of things. And then you make these big franchise films like Lord of the Rings or the Rhyming Spider-Man movies. After that, it's kind of how you were saying, like, what do you do next? You're a trailba- trailblazer at this point. So I think when, like, James Cameron and, um, 
Zemeckis and and Peter Jackson when they 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 say well, what do I do next? I feel like maybe they go I need to keep raising the bar. I need to like push the envelope. I need to do something what nobody else is doing. So I think that's why we get these weird Beowulfs and Polar Express, or we get you know um, just these strange like, oh like Ra- Ra- uh, Sam Raimi's uh, Oz the the Great and the Powerful. Mm-hmm. That was just filled with CGI to the brim. Where, where you know even the Spider-Man films yeah. would have practical effects and CGI effects when needed, just when Lord of the Rings did it as well, miniatures and CGI when needed. But I think they try they try to experiment and they try and go, hey, let me push the boundaries with this. Let me try and go as far as I can with like this new technology. But I think sometimes it's it's one of those things you have all that power in your hand, and, and you know you have a studio backing you, so you kind of just go fuck it. I'm just maybe they get a little lazy. Honest to God, I think sometimes they get a little you lazy. Know, I think that I think I agree with what you're saying, and I think it's worth sort of unpacking for a sec. That that like you know Peter Jackson does Heavenly Creatures in '94. That's a five million dollar budget. He does The Frighteners, which comes out in '96. Two years later, it's a twenty-six million dollar budget. Um, and then you've got Lord of the Rings, which is a hundred million dollar budget. All things considered, kind of insane when you think about it. I mean, that that movie only cost a hundred million dollars is pretty crazy. They obviously split it amongst three films, shot them all at once, and all that. But I do think that there's um, something to be said for. You know, he was finally given the keys to the kingdom a little bit, right? Which is he was Universal Studios gave him twenty six million dollars and said, "Go make a studio picture," and he goes and makes that movie. It's a great movie. And this is, I think, the moment when he's like, I can fucking do this. Like, I, I think it's more about, like, I personally think it's, it's a, there's a tactility to it. There's some beautiful production design, all that stuff in the, the sanatorium at the end. All that set design is fucking great. It all feels very much like the cave uh, in, the, in Fellowship to some degree uh, when they're fighting that, that giant troll monster or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. it's all very kind of, like, monochromatic and mossy and very kind of, like, hazy green gray what have you like you can see a lot of him a lot of the the lessons he learned off of frighteners and being like i can take these lessons and apply this to something much much bigger and that's the type of mind that we all love when it comes to filmmaking which is someone that can think bigger and can think like anything's possible and the world's my oyster and look at what i can do now and i think the frighteners is interestingly kind of the skeleton key it's kind of the thing that opens that door for for jackson to some degree i'm speculating but it feels like this is the movie where he's like okay um i can do this and he figures well now now or never i guess i just should just back up and do the thing that i've been wanting to do my entire life which is the lord of the rings it's it's crazy that he does it um, but I mean, God bless him for it, right? I mean, he just he the, the, the fearlessness that's required to do something like that is 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 unbelievable. It would have been an enormous disaster. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, yeah. the faith that New Line had were like, okay, we're going to give you this movie and give you it at a level that you've never had before, and we'll let you do three, like not just one or two, like the other studios had, but we'll let you do three movies to the point where. When, like, you know, Shyamalan, when he was trying to make, who was a very successful director at the time, when he made his last Airbender movie, I mean, they were like, you can make one. And they were right in doing that, because that movie is horrible. Um, so, But New Line, like, knew what they had with Peter Jackson. It's, it, it should be said, though, because the, the person that, that probably doesn't get enough credit for Lord of the Rings is Bob Shea 
who was running New Line at the time, right? Mm -hmm. And Bob Shea was a producer who did a bunch of, he did Nightmare on Elm Streets, he did a bunch of horror movies, he was a horror guy. Mm -hmm. Um, So for him, Peter Jackson walking in the door and saying, I want to make Lord of the Rings, doesn't sound insane to him, right? Like this this feels of of a piece of, you know, his, of his kind of headspace. That, that movie, obviously those movies are enormously successful. Kind of nothing he does after that as, as sort of, you know, the, the person at New Line is as successful. But he's, he's, he's a fascinating producer. He's a fascinating director and writer. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing what Bob Shea was able to accomplish in a very short period of time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's not sexy. Bob Shea is not the sexy name. The sexy <laughs> name is Peter yeah. Jackson, obviously, but I, but I think that there's something, you know, the guy deserves his due. Yeah, definitely. Well, guys, if I can real fast, we can pivot back to, cause I know early on, Frightener. Phil, you yeah. would mention some of the moments that you had wanted to talk about in the, mo- uh, in the yeah. Frighteners. Um, did you, is there any particular moments that like stuck out to you that you really wanted to bring up? Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm sort of looking at my notes mm-hmm. here real quick, but I, I I do think that there's a couple of things that jump out at me. You know, um, one of you guys, forgive me, I can't remember which one mentioned the interrogation scene. Um, I, I really love that scene between um, Milton and uh, what a name, Milton uh, Milton Dammers. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a and he name. is a look, looks um, like a Milton Dammers. He does look like a Milton, and it's it's a great scene, not just because of the the photography. Um, you know, the the sort of crazy Dutch angles and all that kind of crazy photography mixed in with those locked off shots of, of, of Michael J. Fox. But also Michael J. Fox is really, really good in that mm-hmm. scene. Oh yeah. He looks old. He looks haggard. His, he just, he literally looks like he's been to hell and back. Um, you know, again, Michael J. Fox, after this movie decides to basically quit movies, pivots back to television, does Spin City for a few years mm-hmm. before, uh, unfortunately, his Parkinson's became um, too difficult for him to, to, to work consistently. But it's a shame that we kind of lost him in movies. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame that he was kind of misused in the 80s and 90s in a lot of ways, because I feel like people, I mean, Marty McFly is obviously so iconic, but it feels like he tried to do other stuff. He does Casualties of War, the De Palma film. He tries to do Big Lights, Bright City. Like he tries to do things to show that he has chops and people just aren't interested in seeing that from him. So it was nice to see this interrogation scene really show him, you know, being a, a really superb actor. Um, Milton revealing this crazy armor vest that he has under his under his shirt for reasons that still escape me. I think he thinks that's going to protect mm-hmm. him from whatever creature is out Which, there. by the way, real fast, it has nipples, like in the Schumacher Batman movies. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. I noticed yeah. those, yeah. I, I uh-huh. noticed that. And then I was kind of th- thinking how strange it was that he goes, he brings up this um, case where he's like, oh, this woman was able to kill somebody with their mind. And then he thinks that's what Frank, uh, Michael J. Fox's character is going to do. And then he brandishes the bulletproof vest or the lead vest. And I'm like, you just said he'll kill you with your mind. Well, I think what? that... You think I it's think a mind bullet thinking, or something? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I think it's like the lead will like protect him. But then it's like your mind. Like a Superman? Superman can see through lead? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Um, but also, like for me, um, one of the scenes that that stand out to me and I love is that scene in the the hospital at the end. And I think that Michael J. Fox just freaking acts that out so awesome. And um, and that whole like, yeah, the last fifteen minutes are my favorite part of the movie because of how 
you know tense it is and that that's where essentially like that another element of a horror movie like you know like this chase kind of happens and and you're mm-hmm. being and then him going in and out and of these premonition or like um i guess premonition well no premonitions before but you know the yeah the past yeah. so the like flashbacks yeah. and, and him visions there you go yeah just visions of him seeing this and back and forth and like he just, I just love him in that whole scene, and and um. No, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I love all that stuff. I think that the film, um, I, I think that that whole sequence chunk of the movie at the sanatorium at the end is fantastic. I think it's beautifully shot. I love all that sun drenched, weird flashback stuff. Those pop flashes, cross cutting back to the massacre that was taken that took place years earlier. Um, I love how it all folds into, you know, um, Frank's backstory with his wife and all that kind of stuff. I think all that stuff is great. What I kind of wish is that we didn't have to go to heaven. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 the heaven stuff is so lovely bones to me where I'm just like, dude, you learned nothing from 96. Like you gave us a whole movie of this, you know, in 2009. But uh, yeah, I just I, I I get why they did it. I understand it, maybe it was a studio note. Who the hell knows? But I kind of wish that we went straight from the sanatorium to them at the picnic and just like cut out all the heaven stuff. I'm fine with, and I really actually love the moment when um, uh, D. Wallace and uh, Jake Busey are, I guess, swallowed by a giant worm-like yes. creature that takes yeah. them to hell. That's oh that was what God. I was going to say. Because yeah. if you don't get the that heaven was, sequence, yeah. you don't get, like, the ray of light turning into <laughs> Satan's butthole. Like, it's so great. Correct, correct. Yeah. And I, 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 I agree. It's worth it. It's worth going to heaven for the for the hell thing. It's just it's just a little too treacly and sappy. And I just it kind of bumps me out a little bit. Yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. But all the seven Centauriums, fantastic. All the, I, I, and, and I just want to kind of um, piggyback on what you guys were saying earlier about all that, all of those beautiful high chopper shots flying over New Zealand. New Zealand are, you know, at this point isn't, hasn't been in Lord of the Rings yet. So watching all this stuff in New Zealand, it has just this slightly weird fantasy kind of vibe to it where you're just like, feels a little off. But like all these beautiful at night chopper shots flying over this small town with this grim reaper jumping on fucking cars and rooftops <laughs> and just like cascading all over this. Like it's just, it's great stuff. Mm. Stuff just, I think is, that's the stuff that I think probably will stay with me the most, like moving forward as it has for me is just the dynamic way that he shoots all that stuff. And then the way that he just doubles down on all of that in Lord of the Rings, right? Like all that just crazy chopper shots mm-hmm. all over New Zealand. Um, this is just kind of the baby version of that. And it's, it's just awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Alan, Ariel, any, any final thoughts? No, I uh, no, was, no, no. I think, <laughs> the, the, I think the main thing that came out of this podcast is, is for, you know, new directors or directors out there just to like, when you're at a peak, just take a step back. You know, re- re- reassess, <laughs> regain your, you know, t- we're fine with you taking a, a break or and stuff to just find your core again. Like, let's get, let's, let's get, you know, some spiritual, like, you know, find your, find your, <laughs> find your, your center one more time. And, and, you know, because that's what g- also, got you recognition and that's what we, we would like. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. 
<laughs> totally. I want to, to piggyback on that just very briefly as we wrap up, I, and I think it's the right note to end on, which is, um, you know, when you're at that place in your career, take risks, mm -hmm. have fun. Like, r remember what it was about filmmaking that you loved in the first place. Like, when I read all these interviews with these, you know, most of them, unfortunately, are men, but hopefully there'll be women as we move forward. But, you know, a lot of these guys just being like, just they become complacent you know what i mean you have to find something that lights that fire for you and that's why i feel like you know the hobbit movies just must have been such a draining experience in so many ways for him that i just kind of wish that you know listen Raimi talks about the oz movie not being much fun either mm -hmm. um but i i do think that it's just it's it is interesting um, when you're at the top of the mountain you know you got to find new mountains but also just like remember why you climbed the hill in the first place yeah and that's one thing i will say it was why i have undying respect for the wachowskis is because they just sure. made like they just made whatever weird stuff they wanted like for years for like a decade and a half and only recently one of them came back to the matrix but they were like even, like, I Speed Racer, like, I've talked about this plenty of times, is one of my favorite movies ever, and I know a lot of people don't like it, and I get it's why. It's awesome. Love it. It's great. Right? And, 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 like, even, like, movies that I, like, Jupiter Ascending, I'm like, that's not a great movie, but, man, like, they were clearly having fun with it, and as long as you can just, like, do what you're passionate about, you know, like, I'm all for it, you know? I, I couldn't agree more. I think that I, I think that 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 all filmmakers should take take note of what the Wachowskis do. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, they've proven themselves every time that they put a movie out, and everyone's like, "I don't get it." And then ten years later, they're like, "Oh, right, it was a masterpiece, and I was an idiot, and I didn't understand it back <laughs> ten years ago." Um, and and I, I think that you know we should stop coddling audiences, and and I, I think they're smarter than we think. Um, and I just I don't know. I just think that that a good story and and i know that it's money and i know that it's scary and that there's careers are on the line and it's and it's it's a it's a nerve-wracking endeavor but you know if you you want your stuff to last you want your stuff to still be talked about in 20 30 40 years you got to take risks otherwise like these things just become forgettable you know and I, I appreciate that you guys do this podcast because i think that this podcast it seems as though it's it's modus operandi is shining a light on movies that that haven't been seen and making sure that people know about these great things that are out there um and you know i think that, that more people should take note of that um not just your podcast but i think that the films <laughs> the films themselves as well no, absolutely um, that's so. that's, podcast, that's why we do it the man. podcast that's would why be we do it. very 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 nice you know we're very appreciative if it's the podcast, but the movie is all about cinema, of course. <laughs> of course, <laughs> the cinema. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, well, uh... yeah, it's you know, it's it's just it's 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 a risky endeavor, but like it's worth the risk. It's worth taking the it's worth taking the shot. It's worth taking the swing more times than not. Um, but that's that's uh, you know great movies don't worry so much about whether or not they're loved in the moment that they come out yeah I, and I, i'll just say one last thing you know um nicole kidman actually said this recently in an interview that i watched with her and uh and kristen stewart when they were doing their whole oscar you know campaigns and what have you and she talked about how um she hates the fact that films are based on their opening weekend. She's like, I've made all kinds of films. She's talked about this film Birth that she made, which is a great movie that came out uh, in the mid 2000s. And she's like, that movie didn't do well at all. And I'll, I still have people talking to me about that movie. Like it's, it's gotta be about the long tail. It can't be about just when it comes out because great art 
isn't necessarily great in the moment that it comes out. Yeah, and it's also yeah. the factor really well of word of mouth as well, you know? You you people see it a few people see it opening night, but then or, or opening weekend. I mean, and the, but then those people you know pass it on if if it's that kind of movie, which you know it, they pass it on and talk about it to the next person, the next person, and then it just like is like exponential growth. You know, it could be like that too as well. Totally. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, listen, I worked at video stores through through you know most of my adolescence in film school. Um, and those don't exist anymore, unfortunately. Um, but like, that's, you know, that used to be a great way for people to learn about movies, right? They'd go to the video store and they'd ask the video store clerk, what do you recommend? Or they'd look at, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, lots of movies that became hits on video that, that didn't become hits on in theaters. Um, it, it still exists. You can still rent movies. Most people don't, but still like you, you still can. And I think that we, one of the great things about social media is being able to get out there and, bang the drum for this movie that you love that people haven't seen or isn't doing well in the theaters or whatever the case might be so we just all have to keep you know banging the drum for movies that we love even if uh, even if they're smaller yeah, and, and like you said mm-hmm. phil that's kind of that's kind of our whole deal here on on underrated it's like, yeah, absolutely. like there's because the, the especially for me personally i'm just always, like there's so many movies i'm just like why hasn't anyone seen Eddie the Eagle? Let me talk about it. How can I do that? Oh, wait, there's this platform <laughs> that exists where I can go and talk with my friends about it. So, yeah, yeah exactly, man. That Thank you. Um, but, yeah, I, sure. I guess uh, that about does it. Phil, um, you know, you obviously have mm-hmm. your own podcast, a podcast like it's 1999. Why don't Could you do? let the good people know about that and where they can find it? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I have a podcast with a fellow TV writer, um, Kenny Nivart and I. It's called Podcast Like It's 1999, where we've been exploring every single theatrical release film of 1999, including television and straight to video. And we've been doing it for four and a half years now. This will be the last year as we wrap up 1999. But uh, but again, it's 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 a it was a seminal year for a bunch of reasons. But it's all the things that we've been talking about, which is you know independent and and American filmmakers, foreign filmmakers. It was the cusp of the millennium, and it felt like everyone was just ready to take crazy swings and do great movies and do wonderful things. And you know we've talked about everything from talented Mr. Ripley to election to audition Ooh, um fight club you know we just did, recently did a fight club episode with uh, karen kasuma and we talked with her about about the making of, of that film and, and and how it spoke to her back in 1999 and how it affected her filmmaking um you know we've we've had lots of great episodes uh, with lots of great guests and uh, we also have a patreon uh where we've been talking about the films of 1989 and then we just wrapped that mm-hmm. up and we're now doing the films of 2009 um so you can you can find our patreon at www.podcastlikeits sorry www.patreon backslash podcast like it's uh so that's where you can find that you can find me and our podcast on twitter at uh, podcast like it's or my twitter is pm isco um but yeah Check us out. I think you'll enjoy it. If you like this podcast, I imagine you will like ours as well. Yeah, I can I can definitely vouch for that. It's a great podcast. And I will say, <laughs> interestingly enough, what we were kind of talking about, how over time, you know, movies do get these different reputations and how a lot of those movies from 99 have grown. The rep- like, I was listening to your Oscar episode and just like, these are the movies that got nominated for Best Picture in 99, one of the best movie years ever. And it's like, you know what's great? What's better than The Matrix? The Cider House Rules. Okay, just like... <laughs> That's that's the thing, right? Where it's like that Oscar year where you're just like, 
you're telling me the Green Mile was better than Magnolia, for instance? <laughs> like, it's just like, it, it just isn't. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, time time will tell. Things are, I mean, and this is, not to get into a whole Oscar thing, but, you know, time is the is the ultimate arbiter, right? Mm. It's the one that shows whether your movie can test, stand the test of time or your TV show can stand the test of time. And this podcast that we've been doing, that Kenny and I have been doing, has been uh, has been not just a lot of fun, but also a great learning experience and being able to see why films uh, hold up, you know, and why these, why that year uh, was this weird sort of lightning uh, in a bottle. It was, it was, it was really special. Yeah. Yeah. Two things real fast, uh, Phil. Mm -hmm. uh, of course. One, well, two questions. When you guys sure. do <laughs> Batman 89, can you give me a call? We <laughs> or let's get to it. We we unfortunately did it, oh. and we had uh, we had Karina Longworth on for it. So awesome. uh, she, she it was a great episode, <laughs> uh, and she was a uh, no offense to you, no worries. Um, but uh, but we did do we did do that. That was our last episode of the 1989 Patreon. But it was uh, it was a really special one. So you should check it out sometime. I think you enjoy absolutely it. Absolutely will. And uh, second question, it's it's okay. I, I, you, I know you guys focus on 1999. And I've I, I, I've asked people this, and, and it's such a weird thing, but and it kind of does relate to Michael J. Fox. And I remember, you know, he was on Spin City, and I remember watching it way even as a kid. And then there was when he was diagnosed with um, Parkinson's, and I remember there was like a special yeah. about it, like it was like kind of like his farewell from Spin City right before they got a uh, Charlie Sheen. And I distinctly want, remember watching that special. I don't know if you ever remember it, or maybe. Maybe you guys might have covered it. I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean, I I didn't know that it was in '99, but that that does make sense. Um, you know, we we've been trying to cover as much TV as we can from '99. Um, Kenny, my co-host, has four kids, so his bandwidth is is a little bit more narrow than mine is. Um, so I try to cover the television stuff as much as I can. Um, but that that's a, that is a really interesting thing that I'll that I'll look into. I mean, I've done some mini series. We did one on. Uh, Felicity, Sex and the City, Freaks and Geeks, West Wing. We're going to be doing one on uh, The Sopranos, which uh, aired its first season in 1999. So we'll we'll be doing that uh, near the end of this year as well. But but yeah, I mean, uh, Spin City was huge in 99. So I, I I certainly will uh, look into that for sure. Yeah, no, it was just there was this like weird thing that they mentioned. I don't know if it came out in 99, but I just remember I was watching it at the time, and they mentioned that Michael J. Fox did stunts for fun. And that they thought that that uh -huh. was part of what made him get like Parkinson's. Like they kind of blame the the scene in Back to the Future Part Three where like he gets uh, hanged for a moment and then he gets dragged. Yeah, they were they talked about. Yeah. And then they also yeah. mentioned that he used to do like stunts for fun. Like I remember seeing this image of him, uh, like he was wearing like a I don't know if he was like wearing his suit from like Spin City and then he was like getting pushed into like a river with like another dude and like they're just on like office chairs and, and i remember that image so vividly and i remember asking people about it because they said this is part of why they mentioned the back to future part three and that yeah. so i always wondered about it so i just wanted to throw it out there yeah no for sure i you know it's interesting and i'm just looking here his last episodes were in may of 2000 so oh okay <laughs> dang but but i'll just say this um i have read those those rumors and you know so much unfortunately is we still don't know about parkinson's and i don't think that michael j fox subscribes to you know the notions that uh, that any of these roles were were the mm -hmm. reason behind it um but it is uh it certainly is interesting and it certainly is i mean 
as just for what it's worth here, two things as I'm looking at these last episodes of Michael J. Fox's on Spin City. The first is that the last one was written by Bill Lawrence. <laughs> oh, because, scrubs. Uh, so, you know, I, I just a, a slightly uh, successful. Guy. <laughs> uh, and the second is is uh, that 32 million people watched the episode. Oh, so that right. into consideration. That was a, a very different time in television when 32 million people live showed up. Showed up <laughs> yeah. so, uh, it's a different, uh, different time. But yeah, yeah. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. I just was like, I need- of course, of course, and and thank you guys. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're yeah, excited to have you on. Um, definitely, obviously, you know, had a lot of great conversations about you know not just the film, but just kind of all the things that sprung from it. Um, but yeah, uh, anybody out there who's listening, definitely, you know, if you want to check out anything else we've done, we've got a whole back catalog of episodes and stuff. Um, check us out on all our social media at Undercast Company. Um, we've also got a Patreon, uh, so patreon.com slash undercastcompany. Um, so check us out there. Uh, we've got tiers as low as a dollar a month and get all kinds of bonus episodes. We're always trying to kick up, uh, cook up more things. We've got a couple other podcasts that we do as well. Uh, Ariel's got her You've Never Seen podcast where she introduces me or, me or Alan or sometimes she gets introduced to a new uh, well, a movie that we really should have seen by this point. Um, I'm working on season two for my TV podcast, Gateway Episodes. And then whenever there's a new Marvel thing, I also do um, a sort of a side podcast called Infinity Stones and Dragon Bones. So if you guys want to hear more of us, first check out first check out podcasts like it's 1999, then check out one of those. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, listen, I, this has been an absolute blast. I really appreciate you guys having me on to talk about this movie. Um, a movie that, uh, yet yeah, does not fall within the purview of our podcast. So it was an opportunity for me to, to talk about a movie that uh, that more people should see. Um, it's, uh, I don't think it's actually streaming anywhere right now, unfortunately. Yeah. You have to rent yeah. it. Yeah. But, uh, but, they got uh, my $3. It's, it's, it's worth, yeah. I was going to say, it's worth the 3 <laughs> yeah. bucks. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. I was just yeah. surprised that I didn't own it. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you again. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much, Phil. We right, appreciate man. it. Thank you so much, guys. It was Hi. Thank you. Bye. Take it easy, everybody. Have a good night. Have a good one. Thanks for being amazing. <laughs> <laughs>